This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a thousand tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and LA bid on Ruby developers, providing them with salary and equity up front. The average Ruby developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary offer of $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they give you a $2,000 signing bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the Ruby Rogues link, you'll get a $4,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept the job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash Ruby Rogues. Snap is a hosted CI and continuous delivery that is simple and intuitive. Snap's deployment pipelines deliver fast feedback and can push healthy builds to multiple environments automatically or on demand. Snap integrates deeply with GitHub and has great support for different languages, data stores, and testing frameworks. Snap deploys your application to cloud services like Heroku, DigitalOcean, AWS, and many more. Try Snap for free. Sign up at snapci.com slash rubyrogues. This episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean is the provider I use to host all of my creations. All the shows are hosted there, along with any other projects I come up with. Their user interface is simple and easy to use. Their support is excellent, and their VPSs are backed on solid-state drives and are fast and responsive. Check them out at DigitalOcean.com. If you use the code RubyRogues, you'll get a $10 credit. This episode is brought to you by Braintree. If you're a developer or manager of a mobile app and searching for the right payments API, check out Braintree. Braintree's new V0 SDK makes it easy to support multiple mobile payment types with one simple integration. To learn more and to try out their sandbox, go to BraintreePayments.com slash RubyRogues. Hey, Ruby Rogues listeners. This week, due to some unforeseen circumstances, we had some issues getting everybody together to do the episode. So, I'm actually going to pull a talk that was given at Ruby Remote Conf this year in June by Peter Cooper. He called it the Swiss Ruby Army Knife or something like that. Anyway, go check it out. Let me know if you like it. This is going to kind of be my go-to for when we don't record that or I'll just get on and maybe monologue about something. But in the meantime, I really hope that this helps out. If you like this format, we're doing Ruby Remote Conf again in March. You can go to rubyremoteconf.com and check it out. We also have a call for proposals open if you're interested in that. So feel free to jump in and uh, check it out. Finally, I'm also doing JS Remote Conf and Freelance Remote Conf in January and February. So you can find those too at jsremoteconf.com and freelanceremoteconf.com. If you want to find out more about any of the other conferences I'm putting on this year, you can go to allremoteconfs.com and check those out as well. And here's Peter Cooper. Peter is the author of Beginning Ruby, editor of Ruby Weekly, and chairs O'Reilly's Fluent Conference. He publishes programming-oriented email newsletters, podcasts, and screencasts full-time. You might know him from Ruby Weekly or JavaScript Weekly, among others. So, uh, yeah, and, and I've known Peter for a long time, and he's... Super friendly and very, very knowledgeable. So uh, we'll turn it over to Peter for his Swiss Army Ruby Knife talk. Thank you very much, uh, Chuck. Uh, don't believe all the rumors about uh, being knowledgeable. I just uh, put together what I find online and kind of managed to get by. But uh, <laughs> I guess if I have any skill, it's uh, kind of taking what I see out, moving it into a form that other people can enjoy and uh, learn from. So. So one thing that I mentioned to Chuck, actually, and I have on my other screen, I have the webinar stuff that I can see you type in and so on. Uh, one thing I mentioned to Chuck is that uh, my upload bandwidth here is really, really bad. So when I actually get to going through my slides and doing some of the live sort of coding and stuff that I'm going to show you, I'm actually going to turn my webcam off. 
so yeah, I'm Peter Cooper. Um, I just want to kind of quickly cover a couple of the things that I do, just in case you don't know about them. They're kind of relevant to what I'm going to talk about. So uh, RubyFlow is a basically a community website where you can put up uh, news and links and stuff like that of your own, and people seem to do that every day. Uh, and I kind of pick up tons and tons of awesome stuff for Ruby Weekly, which Chuck mentioned, which is kind of began the whole line of things to where I am now. I have like about different newsletters going out on a weekly basis, and uh, it's pretty much my entire business. And it's funny actually because Chuck asked me to talk. He's known, you know, we've known each other for a long time um, in various ways. And I, I used to be briefly on the Ruby Rogues podcast that he does, so definitely subscribe to that. But I don't really a lot anymore. So that was the first thing that came to mind. He's like, "Do you want to talk?" And I'm like, "Well, I don't really program." But you know, I have like a client from many, many years ago, like an e-commerce client that I, I still maintain their site. But that's pretty much it. I don't. I'm not one of these $200 an hour kind of consultant type people. So I thought, do I really program? Do I have anything to share? And then I realized I actually program a ton. Um, I basically now use programming as a tool uh, to do other things that I need to do while I'm working in my kind of day-to-day -day business. Uh, so, you know, I'm just a publisher, basically. And I manage to use code in that all the time. But then not just code, things in my personal life as well. And I'm going to cover a couple of those as we go along. So what I want to kind of get over in this talk is that even if you aren't just doing Ruby all the time, you can use Ruby as this interesting side tool to get other things done. Uh, and I wanted to show off some interesting examples of that. There's a few kind of uh, humorous ones as well. Uh, and also other things that other people are using before, kind of on the side to get things done rather than their big kind of enterprise-y uh, or big Rails apps. Uh, what else can you get done with it? And what I'm going to do is I'm going to turn my video off now. You can see how lovely and clean my office is. Uh, but I'm just going to turn the video off. So yeah, this is pretty much me on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, as you can tell, I have a subscription to Shutterstock because we use a lot of images here. So I thought I'd better make full use of uh, those images. But does anyone remember delicious.com uh, or del.seo.us, as it was originally called? Uh, it was basically like the first uh, major kind of tag bookmarking service. So uh, you could kind of uh, push a, a bookmarklet in your browser. It would save um, a link into your delicious account and you could tag it with things. So I might tag, uh, say, the Ruby Rogues podcast, for example. I might tag it with Ruby and podcast and, uh, you know, Chuck or whatever, uh, whatever sort of tags come into my mind. And actually, the, the forward slash popular page on delicious was almost like Hacker News um, or Reddit before they even existed. It was like, you know, the place where uh, a lot of people in the know went to see what was the coolest stuff at the time. Um, and this is like 2005, that kind of area. Uh, but eventually, the guy behind it, uh, Joshua Schachter, I believe his uh, full name is, uh, he sold it to Yahoo. And Yahoo kind of messed it up like they do with uh, many things. Uh, it got slow, horrible, eventually kind of half seemed to shut down. Uh, people fled to things like Pinboard, which uh, is in the screenshot here, which actually kind of went back to the more bare bones, just share your links kind of approach. Uh, and I really had, I had tons of stuff on uh, Delicious. I had uh, probably like three or 4,000 bookmarks at the time, used it all the time, really enjoyed it. Uh, but I realized I wanted my own thing. Like I, I didn't necessarily want to jump to another service that might let me down. So... I thought, well, hang on, how can I create this? I could build a cool Rails app and just kind of replicate what Pinboard are doing. So I thought, well, what's, what are involved? What are the kind of the models and the ideas that are involved in an app like this? So I realized it's basically kind of four different concepts I had. Uh, there was the whole 
bookmark thing, there's some tags that can be ordered by. Um, I wanted it to be searchable. So if I think, right, I want to find a Ruby video in the future, I can search for Ruby and video and anything tag we both will come up. And last but not least, it's synced in some way. So it's either like, you know, hosted centrally or some way I can get it between all my different machines because I don't want to have every machine have its own list of bookmarks. Now, web browsers like Chrome, they do syncing of bookmarks and stuff now. But at the time, they didn't. So I had a brainwave. I thought, hang on, I can build this big Rails app and everyone will want to use it and, you know, or they won't and it'll just be me and it'll break and I've got to deploy it. Well, I thought, what are bookmarks? Bookmarks are essentially URLs. But what are URLs? They're text. So then I got to thinking, well, tags. Well, tags are also text. So we've just got a ton of text, essentially. Uh, searching, you can kind of do that with grep at the command line. Fair enough. And syncing. Well, actually, I at the time, I just installed something for syncing data between all my machines. It was called Dropbox. So I thought, hang on, like text files, data files, searching, Dropbox, you know, there's a, an interesting thing to, uh, to try here. So I'll give you a very quick demo of what I came up with. Uh, and several years later, I am still using it. So I'll bring my uh, prompt into play here. Now, this is really, really basic stuff. But if I show you in my uh, links folder here, uh, I have two things. I have something called L uh, and I have something called L.txt. And they're both really very, very simple. So if I uh, do a tail of the L.txt, it looks like a real mid. If I stretch my terminal out so that we get things onto individual lines a bit more, you can basically see all I have in this text file are uh, URLs followed by a kind of a title, and then I have a date following that. And then at the end, if I move it across, uh, you can see I have various tags. It's literally just a bunch of text, as I was describing. So what is in L? Now, I'm going to show how, how extremely cool I am and load this in Nano because I haven't got it loaded in Sublime Text. And uh, I'm too scared to use Vim that I will show myself up and keep hitting Escape over and over until I quit. As I said, you know, I'm not doing this all the time. So this is very, very simple. It just brings in uh, two different libraries, one to handle kind of read line and uh, so you can use arrow keys and, and kind of up and down for history and stuff at the prompts uh, within this little program. And I'll show you how it works in a minute. Uh, but then Pismo is a library I wrote that can go and fetch a web page and grab the title from it, grab an excerpt from it, um, try and tag it, all that sort of stuff. And then within that, we kind of get access to the L.txt file that we just saw. And I use uh, Ruby 2's feature now, I kind of tweak this um, from the old way to the modern way, in Ruby 2, get hold of the current directory, um, and then load the uh, .txt from there. And then there's this very simple class called link, uh, which basically is just a, an internal representation, a pure Ruby representation of the links within that file. Uh, very simple, uh, passed with a, a regex, um, and it's just really, really simple, bare-bones stuff. Uh, there's a little mechanism for an interface to add links into the file, to list all the links in the file, to find links in the file, and that is it. Then we have this bit at the bottom here, which is literally the entirety of the actual activity of the script, which is just reading what comes in on the command line. Uh, I don't use any kind of framework or system for this. It's just all done completely in the raw. Uh, and if anyone wants a code for this later on, just let me know and I'll share it. It's so simple, though, that kind of one of the goals of this talk is to encourage you to do things like this for yourself. Uh, just, you know, do things in a scrappy way and it just kind of works for years and years. So just to show you how it works, if I type L on its own, and I have this uh, sim link to use a local bin so it'll work from anywhere, 
I type L and run it, it shows me my last 10 links uh, just with the date, URL, so on and so forth. If, you know, let's say I want to add a link to the system, if I bring across a browser tab that I've got, um, so I've got a browser tab here of a, a Wikipedia article, this is how I use it. I literally type L at the command prompt, and I always have a command prompt open, so this is like second nature for me. Just drag it on, and ta-da, we have the URL appears, hit enter, uh, Pismo goes and fetches it so I can push up and it will suggest a title for me. It will then also try and suggest some tags. Some of them are okay. Um, I probably sort of do World, I might Wikipedia, a few things like that. Hit enter and it's done. Uh, and I can now see it's in my system. And if I do, say, like let's say uh, L Wikipedia counties, like I remember this in a few weeks' time, I think, oh, I want those counties from Wikipedia. It will go like that and actually I've kind of messed it up because factoring the code today. So there's my embarrassing moment. Um, but what it would generally do is it would go and find the items with those tags and then present them in a list, just like these ones here. And then if there was a single, basically if there was a single uh, entry came back, it would then automatically load that in the browser. Um, and just to kind of show you how it would do that, if it actually worked, uh, so it's this line here. On OS and literally using open and then a URL will open uh, a URL within the web browser, uh, your default web browser. So very simple, very cool, very easy. Um, and I've used this system, as I said, for years and years. I haven't felt any need to go to Pinboard. And uh, yeah, but as I also said, I've refactored it today to kind of make the code look a bit And I have broken it. So moving these things out the way. So that's one of the first kind of things that I've done. Uh, you might have noticed I wasn't even using like JSON or YAML or anything there. I was just using plain text. Uh, you know, I could improve it in different ways. I could even use you know, SQLite or something like that. But I realized that you can actually do many different apps in this way. So, you know, if you just have something that is literally data that can have some scripting working on it and then a syncing element like Dropbox, that's a ton of apps that I can have across all my different machines. Uh, no one else can use them, of course, and they're just for me. But if I wanted to keep a diary, I'd probably use this approach. Just anything where I want to store and collect and sort through data, you know, this whole kind of Ruby plus text plus Dropbox you know, I've just seen so much promise in it and I use it for a variety of different things. So definitely keep that in mind. It works so well. Um, one thing that I used to use this for and I no longer do because I have lots of different editors uh, was for the link collection system for my uh, email newsletters. So Ruby Weekly, JavaScript Weekly, so on. And all that was was a Rails app. So a complete fully blown Rails app, but it was hosted within a Dropbox folder um, and used SQLite free as the kind of the database. Now, I have a big crush on SQLite, so you know I, I, I've used it in a ton of places over the years, but I thought this was a really funny use for it uh, because it kept the database synced up between all my different machines. So I could easily work on my links from my laptop or desktop. It all worked fine. Now, a lot of people said to me, you know, like this is me basically, it's a game my Shutterstock subscription coming in handy, you know, you're kind of playing with fire here, you end up with the, the database getting not synced between things properly and it's just going to be a giant mess. I seem to get lucky, you know, other than at the office here, I seem to have a good connection most places I go, uh, and I always make sure my Dropbox syncs before I do anything else, so I seem to get lucky and it all just worked. If it doesn't, however, you just get a copy of the database and you can kind of fix and patch it up, but, uh, you know, I seem to do all right. Now, one other kind of little thing that I have done this scrappy approach with was my newsletters when I launched them. Uh, so this was just under five years ago. I started my first one, which was Ruby Weekly, and 
I wanted to kind of a mechanized way of doing it. I didn't want to do what most people do right now, which is they go into MailChimp or a system like MailChimp and they sit there in the interface and they put the newsletter together. It takes forever. Like these WYSIWYG things are so slow. I'm a developer, I'm lazy and all that type of uh, thing. I want an easier way of doing it. So I just want to kind of put my links in like some sort of XML or YAML or JSON or whatever format that you know I'm typing out, but then have that convert that data into these other things that I need. And what I need, basically, as an email producer, at least what I needed to start with was some HTML to come out and some text to come out. Um, and then I could literally copy and paste these into MailChimp and it would just work. I wouldn't have to spend more than five minutes in MailChimp to send an issue. So I started to kind of have a think about, uh, I sort of had my items. I kind of wanted to push them through some templates and then get them out. Uh, and then I thought, well, hang on, another step to this. Instead of just getting them out and copying and pasting into MailChimp, I can use MailChimp's API. Um, and very quickly, this is what I did. Um, now, unfortunately, I've lost all the code from that era, but I produced a YouTube video about it uh, for some people that were interested, and I've done some screen grabs of it just to give you a very quick look at how it worked. So, it no longer works this way, and I'm sorry if this is a bit blurry. It no longer works this way, but the first newsletters were YAML files. Uh, so basically, this is like my intro introductory paragraph, and then you can see all these things going down the file were uh, the items. So Rails 3 Release Candidate 2 came out, uh, RVM 1 came out you know, back in 2010, uh, literally had all these items, and then I had basically an HTML ERB template, um, and all it did was just kind of peck through the uh, data within those YAML files and render them out um, into the HTML I wanted. Very, very scrappy. I had a similar one for doing the plain text email, worked in a very similar way, but obviously without the HTML tags. This was the entire thing, pretty much, that went through text and HTML templates, opened up the YAML file, uh, opened up the ERB template, uh, and then ran the ERB template against the content from that YAML file, and that produced an issue that looked like that. Super, super simple, and that's all it was to start with. And even assist this, all these people come to me and they say, I want to launch my own newsletter, I don't want to waste time on it, you know, like too much time putting it all together. It's like, if you're a programmer, this took me like an hour at most uh, to get all this working. Um, and then all you have to do is hook up a, an API to whatever email system you want to use, whoever it is. Um, so MailChimp has a great uh, API. Um, just hook it all up, uh, run the code and have it push it into a new campaign. And you can almost even have it send it from one script. You can be up and running so quickly. So people ask, you know, what's the special source of your business? And like initially, it was this type of thing. It's a lot more elaborate now, but you know, I just began with this and just started building it up step by step. I didn't build this massive application that was awesome from the get-go. Um, I guess this is a theme with me. I just build something that's a pile of trash, basically, make it run, get the result I want, and then improve it over time. Uh, I'm definitely not one of these perfectionist programmers. So another thing that I can credit Ruby for is coming up with my youngest daughter's name. Uh, so here is my daughter uh, yesterday uh, having fun, uh, or perhaps a, a nicer picture on the beach. Uh, she's called Imogen, Imogen Grace Cooper, and she is two. And we couldn't come up with a name when we were at the hospital. So uh, yeah, Thomas uh, in the channel said he's simply great not being a perfectionist programmer. I totally agree. <laughs> so yeah, we were sat in the hospital and had time to kill. I had my laptop, of course, because you know sending newsletters all the time. And I thought, well, hang on, we can't come up with a name. Let's, you know, th maybe there's an approach for this. Uh, so I will give you a very quick live demo as to what we did. Now, if I bring this in, I have this file here called names.rb. Uh, and perhaps I'll just give you a nicer view of it here. 
So we had some names that we liked the idea of. Uh, obviously, the last name we couldn't change. We were going to be Cooper. We'd stick with that. Uh, but then we had all these first names, and uh, you know, being English and kind of uh, not quite middle class, obviously we uh, aim for uh, you know very uppity names that uh, you know kind of make us sound better than we are. Um, so we came up with these things like Millicent, Eloise, and uh, so on and so forth. Some of these are very English. Uh, and then some middle names that we like the you know, sound of uh, Holly and Lily and things like that. All I literally made was this script loop around three times and use the sample method array, pick out something from each list, and then it would use the say command on OS 10 to actually read them out, because some names you might think, oh, I like that first name, I like that middle name, but it just sucks when you say the name. Um, now, I don't think that this system here shares sound, so I don't think you're going to be able to hear this, but I'll run it anyway just to see if it does. If not, I will kind of pretend to do it. So I don't know if you can actually hear it say that, but it just reads them out um, using the robotic voice that you get on OS X. Yeah, so basically we repeated this process over and over, saying them ourselves and kind of batting them backwards and forwards. This is how we came up with the name. Um, it was as simple as that. Very, very simple stuff. And it, it worked. So now we have an Immigrant Grace Cooper and it all went very well. Um, another thing that you know I kind of did, this is more recent, like I was taking my blood pressure for various reasons and storing it in Evernote. Obviously these are probably not very healthy blood pressures if you're seeing these and probably think, oh God, why haven't I died of a heart attack you know I was just checking my press about well, a year ago or so but I kind of copied, I thought well hang on I want to kind of get averages of this and I don't want to sit there with a calculator I thought I'll just use Ruby for this so just you know run up some simple code pasted it in um, and this is a cool little trick if you don't ever use this uh, just use percent and then curly braces just allows you to define a string with almost anything in it essentially other than uh, you know other curly braces copy them in get all of this information to my variable a rather uh, creatively I split the stuff up around the forward slashes, convert everything into numbers, and then use the inject to get averages. So I could see what you know which uh, diastolic and systolic pressures were, um, and just kind of uh, you know just check out what was going on with the old uh, blood pressure. Uh, another little thing that I needed to do. So I actually just cherry picked a few examples here from my kind of uh, scrapbook kind of uh, folder. Uh, one thing that I did was I, I got hold of a leaked uh, song. Now I can't remember what it is, but obviously very naughty and uh, probably illegal for me to get that. But I wanted to kind of share it with someone else uh, that I knew. And because I'm extremely paranoid, I uh, wanted to make sure there was nothing in the ID free tags. I think I might have even bought the song or something. It was something I wanted to share anyway, and I shouldn't have been doing it. Um, and I wanted to see if there was anything in the ID free tags that was kind of shady or like, you know, identify or anything like that. So I couldn't. There were sort of these apps on Windows for reading i free tags and that, and I didn't trust iTunes and stuff. So I just thought, you know, is there a Ruby thing that can read out the data from within the you know, MP3 file? And there was. So I literally just put it into here, passed in my MP3 file, and looked at all of the raw data in there. And I think there was actually some kind of uh, identifier in there somewhere. So I managed to find some site that scraped the ID3 tags off. So very naughty, but, uh, you know, it kind of did the job. And one that I had literally last week was I had a, a customer who I had those domains registered for them. And they wanted to know, well, what are all my domains? And there's like tons of them. So I went to this site where that manages the domains, and um, it gives you like a drop-down box of all the domains that you have there. But I just couldn't be bothered like working out the paste or you know get some output from this that made sense. So I actually went view source. I copied all of their option tags, and these are the you know different URLs here, uh, domains that they've got. Copied and pasted in the HTML. And then literally over that uh, variable, uh, a scan with a regex, joined it all back together, and I had a nice list that I could then copy and paste into an email. Uh, or if I so wished, you know, with other data, I could put commas in and export it as a CSV or something like that. Uh, but again, it just took a job that could have, you know, 
and someone else who wasn't a programmer could have sat there and typed them all out for like uh, 20 minutes, you know, literally just a couple of minutes uh, using a bit of Ruby. And so uh, this brings me to scraping. So scraping is a very, very common thing for people to kind of do on the side in this way. And there's a tons of ways to do it. I usually do it in the messiest way possible. You've probably got, got that theme by now from me. So recently, we had some packages delivered to our office. Um, and in the UK, uh, Amazon uses a company called DPD to do a lot of these uh, deliveries for Prime customers. Uh, DPD has a site which, sadly, I don't have a screenshot of, um, but where you can actually see where your drive is on a map. So if I order something from Amazon literally right this minute, uh, tomorrow morning, it'll say you're going to get something from, you know, uh, some delivery driver, Steve is going to deliver something, uh, click here and you can see a map of where he is and what delivery number you are and all that kind of stuff. So I thought, well, hang on, like, it'd be really cool to know when he's nearby, not just when he gets here, because you get a text message when your Amazon delivery arrives, but I want to know when he's nearby. So I can look out the window and I can see, you know, see him turning up. So I went onto their site and I noticed it wasn't loading immediately. It loaded this web page and the map, but then it would load like where he was, like it would take 10 seconds. So I used the Chrome DevTools to monitor like what was coming over the wire, and I noticed they were loading uh, this kind of JSON thing over Ajax that had the location info in it. It was like a JSON payload. Now, if like I'd copied and pasted that URL, it wouldn't have worked because it was all based on the session and everything. But if you right-click on something in the network tab of DevTools, um, you can get a curl command. So there's something like it's copy curl command or something like that, um, and it will give you a curl command that exactly replicates the request. So I did that. I used the backticks uh, thing in Ruby to kind of get that JSON payload into Ruby on an automated basis, uh, made it like uh, access it every 30 seconds or so, and then I made it connect to a Slack chat room that our, uh, you know, all of our employees are on, and then I had it monitor the progress of the driver, so he was actually called Steve, and what I had it do was just monitor every now and then what was going on. Now, initially, it wasn't very uh, well written, it kind of gave a, a, a distance that was a bit too precise. I found this kind of piece of uh, Ruby code that could take latitude and longitudes and work out the distances between them, but eventually I set rounding up and the various other features, and it wouldn't keep hassling us if he didn't move and stuff like that. But, you know, we got a good system, and, uh, yeah, sorry for the swear words here, but, uh, you know, it got a bit excited when uh, Steve was just around the corner. So, yeah, there's this lovely picture. This is not Steve, of course. This is some guy from some American TV show that I don't know. Someone, One of my employees recognized him anyway. Um, but if you did want to see Steve, there is actually the real Steve delivering an actual package for our actual office at that time. So it all worked very, very well. Um, and next time that uh, DPD is going to deliver, we'll get that bot up and running once again. So, yeah, one thing that's actually been mentioned in the channel is Mechanize. Now, I was going to mention Mechanize because if you're going to do things properly, like that's what you'd do. Because Mechanize can, you can script it to go to a web page, uh, fill in forms, uh, click buttons, and then, you know, read responses and stuff. So, that may have been another way of getting that JSON payload without uh, using curl in a messy way. But, of course, I'm not here to give you the proper way of doing anything. So, I actually want to show you another uh, interesting technique that I've never seen anyone else use, but I think is really, really handy. It again involves scraping, but in a different approach to kind of the, the mechanized style approach. Um, so I'm going to do a bit of live coding for this. So let's say, like, this is something that often comes up for me. Like, for some reason, I'll need to get access to some data from somewhere. Um, I just picked this as a raw example today for, uh, uh, you know, for, for the benefit of this. I want to get a list of all the counties in the UK. Um, now, unfortunately, there isn't, you know, even though there's lots of CSV and text data sources out there for things, uh, I don't ever seem to get hold of them, um, and I find it quite difficult to find them. 
I usually end up on a page like this. Uh, so this is a list of the counties of the UK, which is vaguely equivalent to US states, in, at least in numbers, about 100 and something. I live in one called Kinshire. The problem is, if I come through here and I start copying and pasting, I'm going to end up a real mess. Kind of hashing all this out is going to be really difficult. I have a slightly different approach. There's a very, very cool bookmarklet, which I'm hovering over here, called Select a Gadget. Uh, if you Google for Select a Gadget, you'll find it easy to install. There's even a Chrome um, kind of extension to do it now. But what Select a Gadget will do is it will let you pick items off a web page and then tell you what CSS rules uh, you need to use to get access to that item. So let me show you how it works. I click on Select a Gadget. It loads it up. It now shows me, like when I hover over an element, it shows me that element. So I want to get access to the counties that are listed down here. So I'm going to click one of these. Now, it marks in yellow what it's kind of got access to. So TD is like literally every single table cell. Well, I don't want these ones over here. Um, so now what you can do is, is you can click again to mark which uh, things you do not want it to match. So I don't want it to match this one. So now it's rather cleverly worked out that I probably just want the first column um, and given me a rule to access just that first column. The only problem is, is that I don't really care about Northern Ireland, and I don't mean that in a racist way, I don't really care, you know, I don't want to get access to those counties there, um, and nor do I want to get the counties of my Northern um, compatriot. Uh, so what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to try and negate those as well. So I click there, it gets rid of that. And actually, it, this is behaving differently to the Chrome extension, which got this right first time. What I'm going to need to do is I'm going to need to start adding on some of these. So if I click here, and actually this is done a very poor job of this. When I used the extension, it gave me a rule. Um, and I think it's because it's a newer version. So let me see if I've got a newer version on here for Select a Gadget. This is a complicated rule, I will grant it. Let's try this one and then get rid of Northern Ireland. There we go. Yeah, old one and then the, uh, the beta one. So I guess the beta one is better. So to get access to these, here's the rule. Uh, very, very simple. But the problem is, well, how do I get those out now? Um, I could open up a JavaScript console um, and then actually use uh, jQuery or just, you know, any old kind of way to get access to these things. But I know Ruby um, and so do you. So I want to use that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to create, I've created a new file here called counties.rb. And I'm going to literally step through step by step now as to what I would do to implement this. So the first thing I would want is I would want Nokagiri um, to pass the HTML um, Thing. I know there's a few different options now, but I'm going to stick with that. I want uh, open URI because I want to access um, the, URI, the stuff that's going on. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to copy and paste this into here. Um, then I'm going to access the data. Uh, I'm going to load up a get a Nokagiri representation of the data. Um, and then I'm going to use the CSS method to get access um, to the CSS. Uh, sorry, to the uh, yeah, CSS that gets the data. So I'm going to copy and paste this out, put that in. Now I'm going to move this over so you can see everything I'm doing. I'm going to say each EL for element, let's say. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to put EL.text. So that will just print out the pure text uh, representation. Now, if I've got this correct, let's see. I don't normally run stuff within Sublime Text, but I'll give it a go here because uh, it will look better. Put that down there. So Command and B. Of course, it's moved it all the way over to the side here. Right, so as you can see now, it has found uh, all of the county names, and I can now work with them, play with them however I wish. Um, but there might be other things that I want to do. So 
I've got hold of my counties and you can scrape so many web pages using this type of technique but let's say I want to get counties that existed before 1889 for example so I want to find ones that have got ticks uh, here as well well this becomes a little bit more complicated but one thing that I could do is I could say before 1889 uh, it's true right what I'm going to do is I'm going to write another piece of code here to access the next element along and I've got td env child 2 well the next element along is actually env child 2 like so but what I need to access that is on the parent so yeah I do that da, 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 da. right so that will get access to that uh, and then I want the inner HTML because I want to see whether it's got that tick in it or not and I know I'm not going to demo this but I just know that it contains the word yes with a capital Y um, and because doing this will return the kind of the number and I want a true or false I'm going to do this in a really scrappy way and double bang it so that it can basically give me a true or false I'm kind of a little bit pedantic things like that I want a true or false rather than a 10 or a nil like so so I can say uh, print uh, da, 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 didn't exist before 1889 just like this is just totally ranched, um yeah, I don't know why I'm doing it. So I'm doing it in a really messy way. Uh, but I'm really just trying to show off the point because normally you'd export this to something else. Uh, but if I now run that code, uh, it's going to break and not work because um, I've probably screwed something up. Uh, item doesn't exist. No, it's not item, it's EL. Run it again. There we go. So now it shows me the counties that I've got, but it also tells me the ones that didn't exist uh, before 1889. Um, and I do stuff like this all the time. So, you know, I'm always messing around, scraping around just for, you know, Tons of different things. I'm just scraping data from all over the place, um, and especially for sites that just do not have uh, machine-readable data. These types of approaches can help. Um, and the good thing is, is that obviously you can now tack on, like uh, you know, perhaps JSON, you know, turn it into some kind of output, like data structure. Do kind kind of, you know, output el dot text, uh, you know, equals whatever it is. Create these output structures, um, and then do things like outputs to JSON. Just do stuff like that. Um, I'm not going to show you any demos, but you can use your imagination. Just tons of scrappy stuff, uh, tons of fun. So one of the things that I do best as a publisher is I get other people to do my work for me. Um, <laughs> so in that vein, I asked the world what they were doing and you know some of the scrappy kind of things that they'd used Ruby for um, over the years. Uh, and I had probably about 20 different responses. Um, just wanted to pick up on a few of them sort of as I come to a conclusion here. So I'm sorry if these are a little bit hard to read. I'm going to read them out. Uh, so someone responded guy called Y8, and he couldn't find out what his real name was. He said, I'm scraping data from an ultrasonic range sensor to get water level for a well um, that uh, he kind of has uh, control over. I've just got the code from it here. He linked up the code. Uh, it's very basic stuff. Um, if, I, if I increase the font size a little bit, you can probably see it a bit better. Um, it's coming off a Raspberry Pi. Uh, it's getting the data over serial cable. He reads that in and just does a variety of stuff with it. Um, I just thought that was kind of cool. Um, actually, I'll get rid of this one now. Um, Chris Marr, he said that Rake's great for moving around lots of files, like sorting photos and stuff like that. Um, again, he gave me um, an example of this in action. So this is a Rake file. I've never used Rake for this before because I find Rake a little bit hard to understand at the best of times. But uh, he has these files with uh, timestamps in the name. And he has a task here that will go through, pick out the different parts, and then create directories based on the file names, and then move the files into uh, the relevant folders. Um, so I thought that was uh, kind of cool to see as well. 
This person is called Intern Hack. Uh, said renaming scanned PDF invoices by matching content with a list of supplier names. Now, as soon as I saw this, I was like, you know, I do this as well. Uh, this is actually how I manage some of the expenses in my business. I save PDFs um, into a folder. Um, and then I use one of the many PDF reading libraries that exist in Ruby to read out the total, the VAT, so it's like you know, the tax here, um, the name of the vendor, all that sort of thing. And then it actually turns it into CSV that I can import um, or give to the bookkeeper, that type of thing. You know, so again, that sort of thing is easily possible. There's so many Ruby libraries out there that can read types of, uh, you know, different types of file that you might not expect and so many different things that can output things. So almost any kind of input output task that you may have to do manually, you can always get Ruby to do like so much of it and um, even OCR stuff and it's just ridiculous what you can do. Joel Hook said, I recently used it to cobble together a CSV mass DMCA notices to YouTube. Now, you might think, oh, that's a bit evil, but uh, he um, is involved in a site called egghead.io, which um, does really cool like video tutorials, the JavaScript and stuff. And so I guess they were, I guess it, I'm just guessing here, you know, that he doesn't work for Universal um, or anything. And he's actually kind of protecting his own videos, which is fair enough. And then Paul Campbell, uh, again, this is something else I need to do. He said, before I got auto bank feeds into zero, so zero is a quite a popular um, accounting, uh, online accounting system that people use, at least here in the UK, and I think in Australia and New Zealand, I don't know if it's, big in the US or not, that he wrote a tool to take the CSV that his bank can put out um, and then import it using the Xero um, API, I guess, or possibly even just putting it into CSV that Xero likes. So just have a quick look at a couple of these things. I've only got two others to show you. One was from a guy called Daniels. Uh, he's a guy uh, who lives in Scotland, and he was learning to drive, uh, and he wanted to know when a slot opened at kind of the UK equivalent of DMV to... Uh, get his practical driving test. So here we do a driving test that's kind of on paper, and then we do, you know, actually going out in the car and doing stuff. And they're on totally different occasions. You have to pass the theory before you do the practical. But getting an appointment can be tricky. So he created this script, uh, and literally all it does uh, is it uses Mechanize, in fact. Uh, so here's the Mechanize script, which I'll, again, I'll increase the font size. Um, it literally goes to the UK government site um, looks for, uh, you know, to see what dates and times are available, and there you go. It's really simple stuff. And, and then once it found a time, it would then send him a text message using Twilio just to kind of, you know, so he would know all about that. And one that I found really not pointed me to this blog post, which I don't remember being at the time, uh, but it's from 2013. This guy called Andy Jack. Uh, uh, he uses, or used rather, IFTTT, so that's uh, if uh, this then that, uh, Mandrill, the email kind of system and Twilio uh, to find an apartment in San Francisco. What he did was he used if this then that to look for new Craigslist listings for an apartment that kind of was the, the rough kind of thing that he wanted. Uh, so like certain number of square feet and in the location he wanted the price and everything. Uh, he then had that, uh, it had a, like a recipe that was to him. So he set up Mandrill to handle incoming email. Um, it would pass the email it would work out if there was a phone number associated with the thing by looking kind of at the format. He would have a regex that, you know, is there a phone number in here uh, that's within the San Francisco area? Um, and then he would actually use Twilio. And if you look at the code here, um, he would actually have it call the uh, uh, person on the listing and call him and then connect the call together. Um, so literally, as soon as someone paste, put uh, you know an ad that suited him, 
on Craigslist, um, it would get emailed into his program and it would use Twilio to connect them in a call. So no, that would be kind of creepy if I just put a listing up and I immediately got a call. But I guess that's how it goes in San Francisco. It's that kind of place for renting an apartment. So he did that and eventually managed an apartment using that technique. Um, so hats off to him. I think that's absolutely splendid. So um, that's actually pretty much it from me. Just before I kind of conclude, I need to go through a few extra slides which don't actually mean anything um, because I got my uh, creative uh, director here to, um, Jess to put together some slides, but I didn't end up actually using any of them. So I just thought, you know, as long as they kind of get a little view here, then her hard work wasn't in vain. Um, and so I also wanted to ask you, uh, you know, to kind of uh, subscribe to all my things. Um, you can just go and find Ruby Weekly, JavaScript Weekly, HTML5 Weekly, all the cool stuff. Um, you know, you'll uh, have a good time. So, yeah, that's pretty much it. So Ruby is basically my Swiss army knife. I use it for everything. I can't use a real Swiss uh, army knife to save my life, but I'm constantly using Ruby as a, a tool to just kind of get me out of boring manual copy and paste jobs, scraping information, and just even like the formation of like my business and my whole idea of what now makes me, you know, all of my uh, salary and everything. So I think you can do it as well. Just don't be afraid of using Ruby in this kind of scrappy, messy way. And don't give a you know, monkeys, if anyone looks at your code, it's uh, not important. What's important are the results. So, uh, yeah, thank you very much. And uh, I'm more than willing to take questions if you have any. And obviously, I just want to thank Chuck as well for uh, putting on this uh, awesome event as well. If I already have a first question. Yeah, Doug's asking me, am I familiar with the data constant in Ruby? Yeah, that's the whole thing where you can, like, read the, like, if you put the, what's it, the end thing on, isn't it? And then you can use, uh, read the data out of the very current file that you're in. So... Here you go, he's linked to an example. Yeah, so you use, yeah, double underscore end um, and then data.read. Yeah, I've I've used it before, I just don't tend to use it. I don't know why. Um, I guess it probably makes sense, actually, with some of the situations where I was using the A equals, um, just to kind of give you an example. If I just like kind of live refactor this, let's do this just to see whether I've uh, still got any skills whatsoever. Um, here we go. End stick that information down the bottom there and then I'll say uh, a equals uh, data.read I'm seeing if I run that there we go so yeah it runs in exactly the same way and I've just noticed the screen doesn't seem to be updating at least it's not on the little widget that I've got here um, it's updating so fine for us. Can... Oh, okay cool okay so cool so that's yeah so that's how you would use um, what Doug asked about so yeah awesome point I should probably start using that um, it's like many things in Ruby I just kind of forget about things and then unless someone reminds me I don't start using it so thank you very much Doug anyone else this I know this is not the sort of um, talk that really yields many questions because it's really me just uh, screwing about but uh, yeah I also want to thank you all for coming and uh, listening to this as well so on your uh, scraping I'm wondering a little bit about if they use JavaScript to place stuff, then your CSS selector wouldn't work, or does selector gadget account for that? I believe selector gadget can cope with it, but the problem that you would have uh, is obviously when you do this read. Um, obviously, the, doing that isn't reading. You know, wait, it reads. It might read like embedded JavaScript. It's not going to run it. Um, right. What, yeah. So what you can do in that case is uh, I can't remember what the Ruby equivalents are called now, but like Phantom JS type setups, you know, where like it's uh, right. is it, 
like you can do it with Capybara, can't you? When you do testing, where you load a page and have it run the JavaScript, and then it returns that into Ruby. I can't remember the name of the one for Ruby specifically, but uh, there are things that will read and run JavaScript and then allow you to work with it. So uh, you could use something like that, but yeah, okay. it's very rare. I work with uh, work with scraping things like that, but it's definitely possible. So yeah, Josiah has asked, are there legal issues if you are scraping? I've probably given a good impression that I'm one of these people that doesn't really care a lot for formalities so yeah there might be I don't know um, but uh, you know if I'm literally reading out a bunch of things that is like I mean I'm never scraping anything that's kind of someone's put hard time and effort into doing and it's you know copyright or whatever it is literally things like lists of names or words or uh, you know like geographic information stuff like that so I don't really care too much but you know yeah I, I would probably give a legal disclaimer that uh, yeah when you're scraping just be careful because some people really don't like it if you going to keep it in their site um, and I obviously had that with a DPD you know I didn't want to like hit their site every 10 seconds for the location because they may have just tried to like block me or whatever so you always got to be careful when you do that type of scraping and yeah I mean uh, Chuck says you know the company publishing owns the copyright for what they produce which you know I guess is kind of true I guess the only reason like, I might do it with like data in certain cases is that um, in many cases data isn't like copyright it's a very complicated issue, but uh, if it's like a list of like English place names or something like, you can't actually copyright that. At least that's uh, true for public information here. But there's tons of like data sets out there and things like that. And just be careful. Just don't go and like scrape someone's news site and republish it as your own news or something. So be careful, kids. All right. Cool. Well, thank you, Peter. Yeah. Makes so me want to go you, out man. and write some uh, scrappy code. Yeah, just go and write tons of scrappy code. So that's that's the way to go. All right. Well. Yeah, I've, uh, I've given you permission. <laughs> there you go. You can you can put Peter's stamp of approval on your scrappy code. Yeah, I think that's actually right. what a lot of it's about. Just get permission, go do it. Totally. Once again, this episode is sponsored by Braintree. Go check them out at braintreepayments.com slash rubyrogues. If you need any kind of credit card processing or payment processing in general, they are a great way to go, and we appreciate them sponsoring the show. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more. Would you like to join a conversation with the rogues and their guests? Want to support the show? We have a forum that allows you to join the conversation and support the show at the same time. You can sign up at rubyrogues.com slash parlor.